Good morning. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, please, to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. We're going to be in two passages this morning looking into the Word of God. And I want to thank you for being a blessing to us as a church. Uh, Brother John, this morning, as he met me in the hallway, he said, Welcome home. And, uh, well, I wasn't quite sure if he meant welcome back to the United States, but we do feel at home when we are together with you. And I want to thank you so much for that. What a great blessing it is to be able to be here and to serve. And I do thank Pastor Walker for the privilege of uh, giving us the pulpit this morning to be able to share the Word of God. And what a great blessing it is to share with you what God is doing just a little bit in Ecuador this evening. But this morning I want to take a look into the Word of God. And happy Father's Day to all of you. What a great blessing. Uh, My son is a pastor in upstate New York, and he found out we were going to be coming here on Sunday. He said, Dad, it's Father's Day. You mean you're going to leave the family and go preach? Well, he'd have done the same thing. And uh, so what a great blessing it is to be able to serve and to love the Lord Jesus Christ together. And I hope that we do that this morning through the Word of God. Uh, I want to just take a minute. Uh, My wife is here with me this morning, and we are busy in Ecuador, loving God and loving man by preaching Christ where his name is not heard. Uh, A lot of ministries that we're going to share with you tonight, a message from Matthew chapter 9, familiar passage about praying the Lord of the harvest, but we want to share with you what God is already doing in the harvest, and so I invite you to come back to be with us this evening. But I want to take just a minute and tell you uh, what's happening with our family. Uh, This was just June 4th, my son Lucas. uh, The second one in from the right there was married to Julia. Uh, let, me, let me go backwards here. Bethany is right there in front of us. She is the oldest. Uh, she is 30. And uh, Jordan to the left is number two. Uh, he's a big boy, as you can see in the picture. And he just had a big boy. Uh, we are, Pastor, I think you beat us a shorter time, but we're at two and a half, almost three months of being a grandfather again. And what a great joy and a great blessing that was. Uh, he has married to Amber and has Taylor and now Tuxie. Now, you may never have heard the word Tuxie before, Uh, His sister named him. His name's actually Jackson, but they were asking her before the baby was born, what should they name him? And she said, Tuxie, T-U-X-Y. So his name's Tuxie. Poor boy now has a nickname that he never knew how he got, but he will find out one day. Amanda on the right was married to John in December, and that's why we came back to the States and we're still here. And then Lucas just got married June 4th. And, and I show you this picture, not just because it's a cheap shot to show my family, which, hey, I'm excited to be able to do that anytime I can, but I want to tell you about Lucas. Lucas is number four, and he's the tallest in the family. He was the baby of the family, but only when it is to his advantage does he admit that he is the baby. He thinks he is the strongest, he is the fastest, he is the best athlete. He has had that since he was a baby born in a difficult circumstance, but yet he has carried that confidence with him every step of the way. Uh, We lived in a large house that had a long runway going all the way down the hallway to the living room, and I'd get down on all fours in the wrestling position ready for my opponent to come, and he would come charging down the hallway at two to two and a half years old, and he'd run into me, and I'd fall down, and he'd jump on top of me, and he'd pin my shoulders down, and he won. You get the idea, don't you? It didn't matter how big his foe was. It was all up here, and it was right in here that he was going to be the victor. And so that continued until he was four, five, six, 15, 20, 24 years old. He still thinks he wins, and don't tell him that he can. I'm just smarter. He's a whole lot stronger. 
His wingspan is that larger than Michael Phelps, the swimmer. He's a big boy at six foot three, and he never lost the confidence that no matter what opponent is there, I am greater than that opponent that is there. We come to our passage here this morning, and we find a very similar situation, except in Numbers 13 and 14, we don't find men who are going up to do a duty and to do a job before the Lord. We find men that are going up, and they lost all of their confidence because of the facts. Now, Lucas could probably beat me now. In fact, I will say, if he doesn't listen to this message, that he would beat me if we had a wrestling match, because he is younger, he is faster, he is stronger, and with arms that go longer than six-foot wingspan, there is no way that I could win against that. I would be pinned. We have men that had the Word of God, that had the will of God, that had been told what to do by God, and that God was with them, and yet when they saw the facts that there were giants in the land, that there were difficulties before them, they melted before them. When their facts were in contradiction to their faith. The facts that they had seen were based on the wrong facts. Am I right? If your faith wanes in the sight of the facts, you're looking at the wrong facts. If your faith wanes, in light of the facts, then you are looking at and counting on the wrong facts. I share this message this morning on Father's Day, but it's one that is for all of us, but especially for you men. For you fathers, for you grandfathers, as we enter into a new phase, you still have a great responsibility in teaching and training your children and grandchildren to the day you die to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to do and to obey what God has for us to do. We come here, and we actually find in Numbers chapter 13, given a little bit of a background for it, we find a time when it is perhaps Israel's second greatest of sins since the time when they left the country of Egypt. The first being in Exodus chapter 32, in the building of the golden calf, in idolatrous worship when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law. In fact, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Walker preached a message from Exodus 32 entitled, Unmet Expectations, Is God Enough? And here we find in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, when they were on a reconnaissance mission, their second greatest sin, when the 12 spies went into the land. Remember that song from Sunday school, from vacation Bible school? 12 men went to spy on Canaan. What's it say? Ten were bad and two were good. I practiced that so I could get it right. What do they see? Some saw giants, some saw walls, some saw God was in it all, and there were only two of the twelve that went in that saw that God was in it all. These two chapters in the book of Numbers is a pivotal, host a pivotal time in the, the, the history of Israel as they went from walking in the desert to literally wandering. From marching, one pastor said, from marching when it turns to meandering. And when witness of the power of God turns to wailing and whining for the next 40 years. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14 and 19 says this, so we see that they could not enter in because of what? Can you say with me the reason why? Because of? That's when your facts are based on the wrong thing. 
My wife and I have been reading through the the Old Testament, reading through the Bible in a year and a passage in the New Testament each day as well. But it was amazing to me how many times God said, I will give you this land, I will give you this land, I will give you this land. Even Rahab said that our hearts would have melted because of your God. And they hear on a reconnaissance mission, go up. I want to tell you, and I want to be very clear, that we live in a very difficult day, do we not? If you turn on the television and watch the news for about five minutes, you'll start yelling at it and arguing with it. Am I correct? I don't care what channel it is, you're going to be arguing with the television and who is presenting whatever side of the story it is, because 99.9999% of the time, it disagrees with what is written here in the Word of God. Even if politically it may be on the same side where I am, or on the issues of the day and where we stand, they come at it from a different perspective, not that God is still on the throne, but that man can pick him up by the bootstraps because he's good enough to do that, and that's how we make the change. Right here in this book is the only way that we make that change. Following what it says. But I can imagine sometimes we sit there and say all is lost. Humanity is gone. This is the end. I want to tell you, God is still on the throne. The facts tell me that from the word of God. And if my faith begins to wail, my faith begins to go away, it's because it's based on the wrong facts. I want to tell you the world's going to get worse and worse. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care who's in government. I don't care who is anywhere. The world is going to get worse and worse. The scriptures tell us that and lay it out clearly. This is not my home. We are just passing through. We have a phrase in our family. Home is where my wife's slippers are. We travel. Right now, my home is a little bit down the road, and I feel at home together with you here, but home is where my wife's slippers are, and that's the way that you and I ought to be living, in expectation of that day when God calls us home, that celebration to be with him forever and ever. It's going to get worse, my friends. Cheer up. And I tell you this on Father's Day because we must stand fast upon the Word of God and what it says and what it has laid out for us, the promises that we have, and not come back and say, oh me, oh my, what are we going to do? We're all going to die. Yeah, you will. Cheer up. There's life after this. Absence from the body is where? In the presence of the Lord. I wonder how many times when we're watching what has taken place in the world around us, we just kind of shake our head, even though our children and grandchildren may be sitting around, maybe even our co-workers, maybe even strangers that we've never met before, we just shake our head, oh man, this is awful, what are we going to do? And it is! It's horrible what is going on around. My granddaughter is three years old, and who would have ever thought that we'd have to explain to her what is a man and what is a woman? I could go on and on and on, but that's not the point of my message. On and on and on, the world in which we live in, all of the challenges and the difficulties that are there, God's word is the truth, but you and I need to come out with a positive report that Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Not one of the ten that says, no, we can't do it. We live in a day, according to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, where woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, woe unto them that are wise in their own what? Eyes. Do we not live in that day? We live in difficult times. But I have a book that tells me the truth. 
that is based on the facts that are written here, and I want to tell you that I've got a whole lot of joy, I've got a whole lot of excitement, because God has still called us to go and to make disciples wherever we are. How do we balance faith and facts? And I want to give you a few things from the Word of God this morning as we look through here, and I'm going to give you the outline so that you are all responsible for it now if you fall asleep before I'm done or if you walk out. You now are responsible here from the Word of God to take it, to understand it, and to learn it. And number one, I borrowed what Pastor Walker said. God is enough. Can you repeat that with me? God is enough. No matter what circumstances we are facing, no matter what is going on in the world around us, God is enough. We need to wholly follow the Lord our God. As we find Caleb stated that in the book of Joshua, we need to fear the Lord and to serve him. If Joshua said that as well in his farewell address. And if your facts detour your faith, then you have the wrong facts that you are basing your faith upon. Numbers chapter 13 and 14, we see here in verse 1, The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Send you men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give... Wait a minute, hold on, just a second. Which I give unto the children of Israel. Was there any question what God would do? Now we find here in this passage that the Lord said to go up, but we understand in Deuteronomy that the people asked for it, and the Lord said yes. God said yes, go ahead and do it. But he says, I'm going to give you that land. God had already given them and told them many times what Canaan was like. They didn't need to know, they just needed to obey. But they chose to see what it was, and God said, go, go ahead. He told them what nations were there. He told them how he would defeat their enemies. He gave them their promised inheritance. Yet the people of Israel preferred to walk by sight rather than to walk by faith on the word. And verse 3, and Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them. And we read all the way down through the names of those through verse 15 that had been sent into the land. Verses 17 to 20 outline their objective of their reconnaissance mission to report back about the ripe harvest, about the land, and about all of the needs they had in order to have victory. Nothing wrong with that. They returned from searching in verse 25, and they returned from the land after 40 days. That was just a picture, and you can't see it very well from where you're seated, I don't think, but that gives you an idea laid out in the scriptures as to where they went all the way from the south. Egypt would be just a bit to the west. They'd already been traveling for some time, and now it is time to enter into the land, and they're going to get stuck here and going around in circles for the next 40 years because of their unbelief. Talk about a rerouting of their GPS. And it's because they based their, fact, their faith on the wrong facts of what they saw rather than what they knew to be true from the word of God. They went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness in verse 24. And they brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. I found this picture online. I don't know if it's real or not. I have a tendency to think it's not just because I'm skeptical. But I remember in my Bible storybooks as a child seeing pictures of two men on a great long staff pole carrying a load of grapes that were of this size. They told him and said, we came into the land where you sent us, in verse 27, and it surely it flowed with milk and honey. Oh, I love both of those. My wife bought me a little honey bear, and oh man, I love that thing. Here's the fruit. 
Then we catch a word here in verse 28. What's it say? Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Now the story begins to change. The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The first time they are mentioned is in Genesis chapter 6, with the sons of man and the daughters of God, or the sons of God and the daughters of man. Verse 29 begins to list all of the people that are there and all of the giants. They said, We can't go up because they're too big. And Caleb stood up, one of the two. Ten were bad and two were good. And Caleb stood up and spoke up in the midst of the controversy and still the people in verse 30 before Moses and said, Let us go up at once. Man, I love Caleb and I need to have more people named Caleb to stand up and to go. We need more people in our churches that will stand up and say, it doesn't matter what we've seen, we know what we've heard from the Word of God. God has something for us to accomplish, and He goes before us. Not just with us, but He goes before us. Perhaps you're here today and your heart is broken because you have a father, you have a son, you have a grandfather, you have a grandson that does not know yet Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Perhaps your heart aches for them, or perhaps you have a family member that at one time was walking with God, and for whatever reason they've got distracted by all of the world. Sin has blinded them and has taken them down a wrong path, and you sit here discouraged this morning. And I don't know by the facts that I've seen before me how I can find the energy, the encouragement, and the strength to be able to face even tomorrow. I'm guessing probably weekly here amongst this congregation we hear of sickness and of death. Because we live in a broken world. And if we sit here and we listen to it, which is important for us to be able to lift one another up before the throne of grace, we may say, what do we do, Lord? How long? But God is still on the throne and he goes before us. You have a wayward child, you have a father, a spouse, a child, a grandchild that does not yet know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Can I tell you that the Lord Jesus loves them more than you ever could? And God the Father loves them so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect one, the only begotten son of God. He sent him to die in their place. And so trust me, God loves them more than you could ever love them. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there is a day when we must take personal responsibility and make that choice and decision to accept or reject. And I can pray, I can teach, I can do everything else, but I want to base my facts upon the Word of God in faith that God will rescue them, and it's in His hands. I don't want to hang my head and say, I can't do anything. I want to hold it high and say, God is still in control, because He loves them more. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts when we don't even know it. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses in verse 30 and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, I don't think Caleb was like Lucas, my son. Lucas loves the Lord. He loves to wrestle, and I taught him that way. It's just more painful now. We have broken three beds in different locations, and we have chosen to wrestle anywhere that we go. We love it. But I don't think Caleb, just because he was 24, said, hey, let's go up. My son has that confidence, and he's not going to lose it. But Caleb had the confidence that was found in the Word of God. 
God said he's already going to give it to us. It belongs to us. He already told us how he's going to go about it. Charge! Let's go take that land and do everything that God has called us to do. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we're not able to go up against these people. They're stronger than we are. Here's what happened, ladies and gentlemen. They magnified the obstacles and they minimized the omnipotent one. Are there obstacles in the world in which we live right now for raising our children and raising our families and expanding his kingdom for his glory? Yeah, there are a ton. In fact, it may seem at time that we are losing the battle of sharing and spreading the gospel, but there needs to be a revolution that begins right here amongst us that says God is on the throne. He promised to save souls. I must go out and I must present that word to others because it's based upon the facts that we find here in the word of God. When we began the ministry to the National Police in Ecuador, and for those of you that may not know, I'm, we are, I'm a pastor and a church planter, and the Lord has allowed us to plant a church in the Quito area as well as one along the coast. During that time, in order to reach a congregation of people, I ended up buying a motorcycle because they'd ride motorcycles on Saturday, and that was the way to, to get to connect with them. And on Saturday, the first day I had it, I got stopped three times by the National Police within a half an hour. Not for any infractions, but just for a paper check. Because God, the Holy Spirit, was working on my heart. And I stopped and I said, what can I pray for you for? And we had a 45-minute time of a gentleman telling us, a police officer telling us everything that was going wrong and, and everything else. And that ministry began to chase us, literally. It didn't make any sense. The facts did not line up. I'm a pastor, I'm not a police officer, but we got invited to prayer meetings. My captain's son is sick, would you go and pray with the family? My general lost his wife. Would you go pray with him? He needs help. Would you pray with this group of men? Would you? And it was just, it was kind of awkward. In fact, my wife at one time said, it's something like you are David trying to put on Saul's armor because it does not fit us. You're a pastor, not a police officer. And I'll tell you, I really didn't like the facts of that when she said it, but she was so right. I tried to become a gunsmith so I could connect in with them, but I found out since I'm not a police officer, I couldn't take the specific course for the firearm that they had. That was out. I decided I'm going to reach them for the gospel. I'm going to learn how to do the wrestling that they do, the Krav Maga, and I'm going to teach that. And In an unrelated incident, climbing out of a pool, I tore out, tore out my shoulder. Because I was David in Saul's armor, and I needed to stay in the lane that God had called me of loving the Lord God with all my heart, loving my neighbor as myself by preaching Christ where his name is not heard. And not play cops and robbers, but to play the one who's carrying the gospel message. God has continued to grow that ministry beyond anything that we could ask or think. You see, Caleb was like David that day when he faced Goliath, when others were saying, man, you're too small, you can't hit him. He's too big. And David turned around and said, he's too big not to hit. We're going to take him down. That faith, the facts were that there was an insurmountable uh, obstacle in front of him. And he said, let's go. God's on my side. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we need men and women that will stand up today and say, the facts say this, that are based on the word of God, and I'm going to follow it in faith and do everything that God has called me to do.
Verse 32, they brought up an evil report, and it discouraged the entire congregation. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1, it says this, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt or to die in the desert. And so God gave them that wish. And all of those that were 20 years and older died in that desert in the next 40 years. Verse 8. I love the words of Joshua and Caleb. Moses fell on his face. Joshua as well. Caleb. Verse 8 says, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into his land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And he begged the people, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They had previously said, we're like grasshoppers. They can squish us like a bug. Their defense is departed from them because the Lord is with us, fear not. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got to ask the question again. How do we balance the faith and the facts? And how do we balance when the facts that we are seeing in front of us do not match up to having faith and confidence in what God has called us to go and to do and obey according to his word? I want to tell you, you need to, to change where your facts are based upon. Know what is happening out here, but knowing what God has called us to do in here, in his word. In conclusion, I want to give you just a couple of things that that we can use this morning, and I'm going to have you write some verses down as I read them, of how to balance our faith in our facts. And I'm going to begin with what Pastor Walker said a couple of weeks ago. God is enough. God is enough. No matter what battle you are facing in your personal life or in your public or in your family, no matter where you are, do you understand God is enough? God had already given Abraham all possible assurances that he would put his seed in to possess that land. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. There was no question. God said, this is yours. In verse 8 he says, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. All they had to do was to obey and to go and to possess it. He had clearly promised them and expressed to Moses that he would drive out the Canaanites from the land. In verse 33, the Lord said unto Moses, or in chapter 33 in verse 2, Go, and I'm going to give you the land, and I will send an angel before thee. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. And if you go back and look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you're going to find many of these people that were occupying the land at the moment. And God had listed them by name. He said, I'm going to drive them out. The angel of the Lord's going to go before you. And I think if I was the 12 spies or one of the 12 spies that were, were in the land of Canaan that night, at nighttime, I think I would have opened my eyes and see, is that angel here? Where's that flaming sword? Where's that promise? But instead what they said, oh, people are big. The obstacles are insurmountable. I can't do it. Let's just stay here in the desert and die. Now, you and I would never say that, but if we don't stand up and if we don't act, I think we're saying the exact same thing. This morning, we need to act that God is enough. 
He says, I'm going to do it little by little. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, says this, the Canaanites were stronger than Israel. Suppose they were. But were they stronger than the God of Israel? We are not able to deal with them, but is not God Almighty able? Have we not him in the midst of us? Does not he go before us? And is anything too hard for him? We were as grasshoppers before the giants. And are they not less than grasshoppers before our God? I love that. And you and I need to face those obstacles that seem to deviate our faith. The things that seem impossible to trust God and to move him forward. And to move us forward for his honor and for his glory. How do we balance faith and facts? We need to understand that God is enough. But secondly, we need to wholly follow the Lord. Joshua in Joshua chapter 14, excuse me, Caleb in Joshua chapter 14, verses 7 and 8, says this. He says, 40 years old was I when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren went up with me and made the heart of the people melt. But here's what Caleb says. He says, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Who this day will say that in the midst of everything, I understand that God is enough and I'm going to wholly follow the Lord no matter what everyone else is doing. And I think we need to reevaluate what that actually means. It's not am I doing better than my brother or sister in Christ, but am I doing according to what the word of God has for me to do? And am I occupying what he has called me to do because God is still on the throne. He has given us the victory. Lastly, if you would, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24 in his farewell address, verses 14 and 15. I want you to hear the words of Joshua himself. He says this, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. You have the words on your screen, fear the Lord and serve him. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, which your fathers served were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And what did he say? But as for me and my house, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. How do you face facts with faith? How do we faithfully follow what is written in the word of God? We follow these facts. In closing this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. If you believe that with all of your heart, and you say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to fear him and we're going to serve him. No matter what's coming at us, no matter what giants seem to be in the land, I know God is in the throne, that God is in control, he is enough. I'm going to wholly follow my God, and for me and my house, we're going to fear the Lord and serve him. Would you stand up with me this morning? Just do it now. Man, woman, children, upstairs, downstairs. Don't do it if you don't mean it, because it means absolutely nothing. I'm going to take a wild guess here that we have an army of more than 250 to 300 people that are just in this auditorium at this moment. That are standing up saying, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
no matter what facts seem to be impossible to accomplish, we're going to serve the Lord. Are you with me? Let's do it together. Let's make a difference in the world that God has brought us. Not just Father's Day, but every single day of our life. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. God, I thank you for Faith Baptist here. For those that are standing together with us this morning. Saying no matter what obstacles seem to be there, no matter what giants seem to be in the land, they've got nothing on you. You are our God. You have called us to be your children, to come out and to be separate, to be different than the world around us. It is not all lost, but it is an opportunity to see them come to know you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning I pray for a friend of mine, Pat, that has been asking questions about the Lord Jesus Christ and about our faith. And I ask this day that you would work in his heart that he might come to know you as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And stand on the side that fights for good and for right because of your promises based in your word. God, guide us. Satan wants nothing better than to take that seed away that's been planted this morning, to twist it, to deny it, to make us doubt but we know, according to your word, the facts that you are still on the throne. We know the facts that you are enough. We know the facts that we need to serve you with all of our heart and everything that we have, because you are our God. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.